Hey guys, and welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus. And today we jump into a passage in John that William Temple says is perhaps the most sacred passage in all of the four Gospels. Hey everyone, my name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church in beautiful Powell River, British Columbia. And uh, we are in a Gospel of John series. And so if you're new with us, we've been going through the Gospel of John for quite some time. And today we, we do, we kind of are stepping into this very intimate moment in the life and the ministry of Jesus as recorded by John. And as, I, as we said in our opener, you know, Temple, William Temple says, this is perhaps the most sacred. There's something... Um, kind of set apart about this kind of moment as we jump into John 17 verses 1 to 5. So John 17, 1 to 5. And I want you to notice before we kind of get into it, Jesus has been talking to his disciples. And, and I just want you to notice how sort of casually we see Jesus transition from talking to his disciples to now he begins to just pray. He begins to talk to his father in heaven. And What's, what's beautiful about this and, and intimate about this picture of prayer is Jesus kind of so naturally makes this transition and there's no pretense, there's no posturing or uh, ritual. It's just simply this relational and honest prayer between him and the Father. And we get this kind of beautiful moment to be able to see this play out as the disciples witnessed it. Now, many call this kind of the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Um, and so as we jump in, you'll kind of see this play out. So John chapter 17, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be starting one to five. And next week, we'll continue on in that prayer. But this week, we're going to just stick with one to five. If you need a Bible, visit myevangel.church forward slash Bible. And we would love to get a Bible in your hands. So chapter 17, when Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, in his commentary on John, Bruce Milne, he asked the question after kind of delving into this moment, why does Jesus turn to prayer in this moment? And why did the Holy Spirit kind of see fit to give us such a detailed description of this prayer and of this account. And I, and I think that it's certainly, it's for our benefit that it is recorded. It's for our benefit that we get to see this picture of the intimacy of Jesus and the Father and him pouring out his heart in prayer to God. But, but I also think in, in some ways, this was Jesus not just modeling prayer as an important piece, but actually leaning into the empowerment of the Father, leaning into um, this intimacy with his father in order to be empowered to move forward into what he was called to do and to accomplish in this world. 
And, and what a reminder that is for us, you know, us as mere mortals. If Jesus, the Son of God, um, felt compelled to turn to his Father and to pray and to share his heart and to be empowered and to be encouraged and to hear the voice of the Father so he could be obedient to his calling and assignment in this world, how much more so do we need to posture ourselves in these moments of prayer, bringing our struggles, our requests, our looking for direction from the one who has called us. Uh, it's so important that we are people of prayer. So Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to dig into your word, to um, increase our understanding of who you are and as a result, who we are. So Lord, Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence. We acknowledge, Lord, your part as you reveal the truth to us, as you bring revelation that is living and active in our hearts and in our souls. Now, Lord, we pray that you would have your way as you teach us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Um, can you just picture this moment? He is speaking to us and he's speaking to the disciples and and then in this moment, he, he kind of transitions to this, this, this look to the heavens and he begins to just intimately speak to his father. And it's just such a beautiful scene that unfolds right before us. And we, we often say Jesus lived his life in ministry in, in the shadow of the cross. Uh, you know, on many occasions throughout John, we see these moments where uh, Jesus says, you know, my hour is not yet come. Uh, we, we, we see this at his very first miracle. His mom, Mary, comes to him at the wedding and goes, hey, they've run out of wine. And uh, what can you do? Can you do something about it? And what, what he says in John 2, 4, then Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Uh, you know, to the moment where his disciples are kind of egging him on. You, you need to go to Jerusalem. Uh, all the great teachers go to Jerusalem. And he says in John 7, 8, you go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. And what is he referencing here? He's referencing the cross. He's referencing the revelation as, as him as Messiah, but not just him as the Messiah in terms of what they expected, but him as this suffering, sacrificial lamb that was going to go to the cross. And so his time had not yet come. And we see this mentioned over and over throughout John. John 7, 30. John 8, 20. And the shadow of the cross has now, in this moment, has caught up to him. The assignment that he was sent, the mission, the thing that he was called to do has now caught up to him. And so Jesus now, he makes this declaration, the hour is here. The hour is here. But he defines the cross in such a bizarre and wonderful way here. He goes on to say, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. You know, he talks about the cross in, in, in language of glory, uh, of language of being glorified. Remember last week, we kind of talked how Jesus had a very clear eternal perspective. He saw beyond the cross, right? He saw the implications of what the cross meant in terms of his death, his burial, and then his resurrection. So that's why, you know, for the joy set before him, he was able to endure the journey to the cross. He sees the cross in light of eternity as both the salvation of humanity, but also his way back to the Father. 
But, but notice how he approaches this concept of glory here. His desire to be glorified is completely linked to the glory the Father will receive because of it. You know, Jesus had a way in this world to defer all of the glory. You know, he did spectacular things in this world, miraculous things, signs and wonders, but they weren't for the sake of pointing glory to himself. He always deferred that glory to the Father. He says, I do these things in the Father because the Father calls me to do them. He, he, he submits himself to the Father. So by extension, I, I often think about the pursuits we have in this life. You know, we as human beings, when we get a taste of glory or an honor or pride, the, the pride kind of wells up and, and we kind of take ownership of that, right? We have this way as human beings to internalize our glory and we don't want to share it. We very often don't want to share it. Uh, we are not that altruistic. And so this picture of Jesus praying that he would be glorified and he's talking about going to the cross, but he's also talking about his, his resurrection, his exaltation. He's praying, Lord, I want to be glorified so that in turn you are ultimately glorified. And there's this humility here. This is a kind of simpatico, this, this synergy that God the Father and God the Son are, are working within. But we as human beings, we often want to lie to ourselves that we are the very source of our own achievements. You know, the example that Christ sets for us is so profoundly hard for us to live out. Um, so for example, I was thinking about this concept in this moment. I was thinking back to when I was younger in my college days. And um, I was part of a homiletics class, which is uh, learning how to write and deliver sermons, uh, homilies. And so I was in the homiletics class and I put together a sermon. That was our assignment. Like ultimately at the end of that semester, we had to kind of have a sermon together and we would preach in front of the class. And I was one of five people that were selected out of the class to then take our sermon and preach it before the student body. And so I'll never forget kind of the pride that welled up in me when I was asked to do that. And so here's the thing though. Um, I saw this as, as my opportunity to make my mark, you know, like it was this kind of idea where I worked really hard to have the right scriptures and have the right illustrations and, and all the homiletics to make a good presentation. I thought through, how am I going to deliver it? What is, what is this going to look like and how is it going to be received? And all of the things that were going through my mind and going through my heart to the point where I was standing just off of the stage at a hallway. And so I was outside the, outside of the chapel and there's about 1800 students plus, there's a big auditorium. It's the biggest, the biggest audience I've ever preached to in my life, you know, then and then since then. And I remember in that moment, uh, for some of you, you, uh, you, you carry your nerves, your stress and your muscles, you know, some of you carry it in your shoulders or in your neck or, you know, I carry my stress in my gut. <laughs> so I'll never forget being there. And I was, I felt like I was so prepared, but the, but just the nervousness of everything. And I remember having to run to the bathroom. And then by the time I got back, it was like go time. 
And here's the funny thing. I preached that sermon. I barely remember that moment. Uh, in fact, I would say those that were there to hear it don't remember a thing that I said. And coming off of that stage, I determined in my heart that I was, that was going to be the last time I would step into a pulpit in the pursuit of making my name famous. Because all the preparation I put into that moment lacked prayer, lacked substance of not content, but substance of the spirit, substance of the anointing, substance of deferring glory to Jesus. Your achievements, your accomplishments, both big and small, are a gift from God. All of them. They're a gift from God. And the moment you seek to hold on to the glory for yourself, you've already lost it. In the kingdom of God, it's your job to walk in humility and it's God's job to exalt his people. It's your job to walk in humility and it's God's job to exalt you in places of authority and influence. In James 4, 6, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And Jesus in this moment he models and shows us what it is to walk in humility. He desires to be glorified in that his father will be glorified. May we, may we always desire to be exalted by God, but for the sake of making his name famous, for the sake of glorifying him. Jesus goes on in verse 2, since you have given him authority, he's talking about himself in the third person here, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. You know, Jesus, um, he kind of makes this messianic claim about himself as, as the Messiah. He's declaring that he alone has been given authority to give eternal life to all those the Father has given him. But, but what's so interesting about this moment is the way that he defines eternal life. So if we go on to the verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you. I want you to underline that, that they know you. This is eternal life. It's defined in this way, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You know, eternity is so much more than just a duration of time of heavenly bliss. In fact, you know, time doesn't even equate with the concept of eternity. Eternal life is the characteristic of a being. Eternal life is the characteristic of one being, and that is God. The very concept of eternity exists because God exists. It's God alone who has always been. So, so eternal life it, 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 it's in the person of God. It's in the person of Christ. It's in the person of the Spirit. Because God existed before creation, space and time even existed. He exists outside of the created order and the created things. Eternal life is defined in the characteristic. It's a characteristic of God himself. So eternal life is not the passage of time. It is being welcomed to share in this characteristic of God. 
that's inextricably linked to relationship with God, who is eternal by nature. But it's even more than that. William Barclay writes, in the Greek, eternal life um, is written, it's inenoios. This word has to do not so much with duration of life, for life which went on forever would not necessarily be a boon. Uh, the word boon there just means it, w- it wouldn't necessarily be beneficial or helpful. But with quality of life. This is talking about more than just duration of life. This is talking about quality of life. This is talking about fullness of life. And this is what Christ invites us into. Christ makes a way for us to know God. And, and in knowing God, we get to know eternal life. Not just in the sense of duration, but in the sense of discovering life in its fullness because we know the eternal one. Purpose, fulfillment, belonging, intimacy, peace, hope, love, joy, they're all found in the characteristics of God and Jesus invites us into relationship with the eternal. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. William Barclay brings this summation. To know God is to know what he is like and to be on the most intimate terms of friendship with him. And neither of these things is possible without Jesus Christ. And Jesus continues in verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. This this next moment here is such a freeing concept. I, I want you to really consider this and see this. I don't know about you, but as you look at the world around us, you can see the needs everywhere. You can see the potential for calling to meet needs and to step into pain and to, it's everywhere. And and even more so today, we live in a world now where the world is connected globally. And so we see what years ago we wouldn't have even known about. But now with the globalization of the world, the communication systems, the the internet, we we are on an overload in terms of information, in terms of what is happening globally around the world. And I think sometimes when we think about this idea of going into the world and preaching the gospel, it becomes so overwhelming. And so we need to understand this concept right here. Jesus accomplished his assignment on earth. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Bruce Milne writes of this concept when he says, This text also speaks of a specific limitation. The work you gave me to do. From several points of view, there was limitation placed upon Jesus. Geographically, his whole career was confined within the boundaries of central Palestine. He never saw Rome or Athens or Alexandria, to say nothing of the further flung lands of the globe. His ministry was circumscribed also in terms of his life experience. He never knew the intimacies of marriage the struggles of parenthood, the challenges of middle age, or the limitations of aging. Even within the sphere of his teaching and healing ministry, there were multitudes of his needy contemporaries in Palestine to whom he never ministered, whether in word or deed. Yet his ministry was perfect and whole. Catch this. 
because he did with complete and single-minded dedication all that he was given to do. So at the end, he could truly say, I have finished the work. Or more profoundly, in his final moments on the cross, it is finished. A similar limitation rests upon every disciple. We are not called to reach the whole world or to minister to every need. There is a specific work for us to do. And in finding and doing that specific thing to the limits of our powers lies our fulfillment and our peace. Friend, God has called you to a specific assignment in this world. You don't have to be all things to all people. And I fear that some of us get so overwhelmed with this sense of the Great Commission, this sense of going into the world and preaching the gospel. We become so overwhelmed that we don't even take the first step. There are limitations to our calling, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's a freeing thing. There is a sense of liberty in knowing that there are limitations to your calling. Because God has called you for a specific assignment. And he's uniquely gifted you and equipped you and empowered you by the Spirit for it. You don't have to solve it all. In fact, even the very calling and the dream that God has placed in your life may not even be fully realized in your lifetime. As we look at Scripture, we see over and over and over again these profound callings placed on people, but they don't even see it resolved in their lifetime. They pass the baton onto a new generation. And perhaps that generation sees it resolved. Or perhaps the next generation sees it resolved. Jesus had the weight of the world on his shoulders, yet even he ministered in this world in a constricted, kind of limited way as a result of his obedience to his calling, to his unique calling and assignment in this world. But with that said, the glory he brought the Father was contained in that obedience. He completed his mission completely and fully, and that's what brought glory to God. Our worship, our worship is only as complete as our obedience. William Barclay writes, the folklorist and writer of short stories, HLG, tells of an incident from Second World War attached to one of the air raid precaution stations in Bristol. There was a boy messenger named Derek Belfall. He was sent with a message to another station on his bicycle. On his way back, a bomb mortally wounded him. When they found him, he was still conscious. His last whispered words were, Messenger Belfall reporting, I have delivered my message. And that is exactly what Jesus did. He completed his task. He brought God's love to men and women. For him, that meant the cross. And the cross was his glory because he finished the work God gave him to do. He made people forever certain of God's love. Can I ask you the question, what is faithfulness? What does faithfulness to the call mean for you? What does it mean for you? What, what does it mean for me? What is faithfulness and obedience to the call and the assignment that God has placed on each of our lives? What does that look like? The weight of this world is not on your shoulders. Jesus took that weight on his shoulders. 
And, and that's why kind of partnering with him means that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Because he bears the burden of this world. But he calls us to share in that burden in a limited way. And he calls us to feel the weight, not of the entire world, but the weight of a piece of this world. And he calls each to us, he calls each of us to these moments of carrying and sharing in that burden in a way that is sustainable, in a way that gives us purpose, in a way that we find life and fulfillment, even though it's hard. And I can't define what that calling is for you. That's between you and the Spirit. But can I encourage you to continually seek the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit in that calling? Because I believe that we each have an assignment. And here's the deal, friends. I have dropped the ball on moments of my assignment. On days where I didn't feel like it. Or days where I felt insecure. Or days where I felt like I didn't have what it takes. And so instead of saying yes to the opportunities to serve, I said no. We've all dropped the ball. Some of us, perhaps you're thinking, man, I've dropped the ball so, so, so much that I don't even know if I can pick it up again. Can I encourage you? Don't let the weight of the world rest on your shoulders. Jesus is holding that burden and that weight. He overcame this world. He overcame death and the grave. He overcame sin and brokenness and the curse. And he just calls us to share in a part of that burden. And it's not going to crush you. But you're actually going to find life and liberty in it. So what is your calling? In your context, what is your calling? If you are in Christ, you are called, you are equipped, and you are empowered to make a difference in a part of your world. There was a time in my life when I wanted to be kind of free from the calling God had placed on my life. And so God was gracious. He let me walk away from what he had called me to. And I did. I walked away. I walked away for a season. Can, can I just say, can you just take it from me? That in that season, I could have lived the rest of my life in that context and in that way and in that season. But for the short time that I was stepping away and outside of the calling and the assignment I feel God had placed in my life, I felt no joy, no purpose, no fulfillment. Um, There's something powerful about purpose and knowing that we are serving in the capacity God has called us to serve. And there's life in that. It's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's hard. There's pain in that. There's suffering in that. There, there, there's a cost to pay to obedience in Christ. But there's also this, this profound purpose in life and fulfillment. And so God calls us to this calling and assignment. In verse 5, it goes on, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Please don't miss the implications of this statement. This is profound. And there's two major implications here. The first is Jesus pulls back the curtain and gives us a glimpse of his deity, his, his um, him being God, 
in such a profound way here. He acknowledges that he and the Father were in relationship before time and space, before the created order, before anything existed. Jesus did not show up on the scene in first century Palestine. Sometimes we kind of treat Jesus as though he kind of was created or came onto the scene first century. That's not the case. Jesus is the very God of the Old Testament when he says, I am. I just simply, I am. I am. I just simply exist. God is eternal. Jesus is eternal. But the second thing that we need to really dig in here is the word glory here means to be clothed in splendor. And this is important because it kind of speaks to this absolute wholeness and completeness of God. But before there was even a creation to worship and witness the glory of God, Jesus was clothed in glory. Just, <laughs> he, he doesn't need creation. He didn't need us to witness his glory. The characteristic of God himself is glory. And don't get me wrong. He's worthy of our worship. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But he does not call us to a life of worship and obedience because he somehow needs it. God is self-contained. God is whole and complete in and of himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. He does not need creation to affirm, to worship, or to witness in any way that glory to make it more complete. He is perfectly complete. But he desires our worship because of his deep love for us. He desires our worship because he knows that it's in worship and obedience to him where we will find life and purpose and fulfillment, where we will find eternity returned to humanity. And it's through Jesus Christ that we enter this reality. It's, it's here that we find purpose. It's here where we discover the original intention of creation, eternal life as defined by knowing intimately the eternal God. So let me ask you a question. Do you know eternal life? Do you know eternal life? Do you know God, the eternal one? And, and, and not just of God, not just of him, but do you know him relationally through the son, Jesus Christ? And I pray for you today that the Holy Spirit would give you a revelation of Jesus, would give you a picture and a revelation of Jesus Christ himself. And that in that you would find an opportunity to be invited into relationship with the eternal one. That you would, you would repent of your sin. That you would discover that he forgives you. And that he loves you. And that he has given you and offered you new life. But I also pray for those of you that are in Christ Jesus. That you would be stirred up in your, in your spirits. To pursue the assignments and the calling God has placed on your life. That you would understand that God has an assignment for you in the day-to-day. -day. You don't have to save the world. You don't have to save the world. Jesus has already done that. You simply have to be faithful to play your part in the mission of declaring that the world has been saved. So Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is doing and a boldness to play our part in that. Let's pray. Lord, we just acknowledge your presence. 
And Lord, we pray that I don't know where each person is in this journey of faith, exploring faith, um, ever increasing in their love for Jesus. Lord, I pray in this moment that you, Holy Spirit, would give us a revelation and a picture of the glorified Son, the exalted Son, the Son, Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Eternal One, the Father. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would continue to give us a fresh revelation that eternity, this is eternal life we've been called into, is not just get to go to heaven. No, that this is like such a byproduct. That's such a secondary thing. Lord, the, the eternal life you talk about is to know you, to have intimacy and relationship with the eternal one. And in that, in that obedience, in that submission, in that worship, in that intimacy and relationship, that's where we find life. And so, Lord, we thank you that you called us. We thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross to be glorified and to glorify the Father. And so, Lord, as we look to see our part to play in this mission of, of declaring this good news, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts even now in this moment. God, we, we, we're sorry for the times when we haven't stepped forward and we haven't stepped up and we haven't been faithful to the call you've placed on our lives. But Lord, we, we have an assignment and time is so short. This, this life is a vapor. Lord, would you give us a boldness to step into the calling? Would you give us a boldness to, to walk in the assignments that you have laid out for us? And Lord, we thank you that you empower us and equip us for it. And Lord, sometimes it takes taking the step of faith before we even witness that grace and that strength. So Lord, would you cause us to take those steps of faith in obedience to your mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining us. And I, I pray that this would not just be a, another Sunday of watching online. I just, I just acknowledge the presence right where you're at right now. Acknowledge the presence of the Spirit because He's with you. He's speaking to you. Have ears to hear and eyes to see. And He will reveal what He's doing in and through your life. So God bless everyone. Have a great week. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Lucas, for uh, continuing us on in the Gospel of John series. Uh, we just have a couple announcements for you. The first one is Grow Track is actually happening right after our Sunday morning service. So our Sunday morning service uh, ends around like 11.40, 11.35. And so if you're wanting to discover your design and find your fit uh, in the greater body of Christ, Grow Track is the place for you to take that next step. So we invite you uh, to our church in the fellowship hall right after our service uh, to jump into 201. And then just so you know, for the next couple weeks, uh, we will be doing grow track kind of su successively after each other so that we can kind of pack it all into about five weeks. And so we would love to see you there today. And the New Bay Camp is coming up soon. Uh, we're so excited to be able to be at camp this summer in July. And so we are really needing for kids in mids camp, um, some volunteers, particularly in our kitchen and in uh, some of our like cleaning aspects as well. And so if you're wanting to join us at camp, 
uh, and be a part of any of our teams, but specifically those two, we would love to have you. If you go to nanusbaycamp.ca forward slash volunteer, it will give you all of the information that you need to apply. Uh, if you have any questions, please ask one of our pastoral staff by even just typing in the chat right now or direct messaging us on social media. And then April 15th, we want to invite you to our Good Friday service. So we're coming into uh, Easter weekend really soon here. And so we're going to be having a Good Friday service here at the church. It's going to be a one hour uh, service from 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. We would love to see you and your family there. And then we're going to celebrate Easter on Sunday morning in our regular 10 a.m. service as well. And then finally, if what we do here adds value to your faith, or if you want to walk uh, in the obedience and partnership with God uh, and partnering with our church, we would so uh, love and value that partnership alongside of you. If you want to learn all the ways that you can give, you can go to myevangel.church forward slash give, and it will give you all of those ways that you can. Well, friends, thanks so much for joining us. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we will hopefully see you soon.